welcome to another episode of Floor Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and this week my guest is Steve DiMeglio, a senior writer with Golf Week as well as USA Today Sports. Steve is in Las Vegas, Nevada last week, hopefully not putting large wagers on the Kansas City Chiefs or the Dallas Cowboys to win, but I know that he was at the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open where he saw Kevin Nod defeat Patrick Cantlay in a really exciting playoff. We talked at length about that win for Kevin Nod. We also talked about John Rahm's successful defense of his victory last year at the Open de España, his national championship back in Spain, and what that means for him in 2020. We also talked at length about players trying to get themselves into a position to make a run at a captain's pick for the U.S. President's Cup team. We also discussed the awful experience that everybody has flying across the country on a red eye and what happens when you get placed in the wrong seat between bad people on airplanes. Hey, are you a football fan? Then you don't want to miss NFL 100, USA Today Sports' celebration of the NFL's 100th season. From the best on-field performances to the draft's biggest bust, we're picking the top 100 players, moments, and teams since 1919. See if your favorites stack up with ours at usatoday.com forward slash NFL 100. Now I want to introduce the program, not Don Rickles, Mr. Happiness and Mr. Lovely himself, but coming off of a red eye, screaming in hot from the West Coast, is my co-worker and my buddy Steve DiMeglio. Steve, how was your flight back home to sunny Florida? Well, red eyes are, as I get older, not, uh, not the greatest, but when you have two adults who spend two hours of a three hour and 45 minute red eye. (laughs) And you just, all they're doing is just talking and talking and talking. And I always wondered about this. Why do people not understand when you're in tight spaces, when you have a conversation, you're also having it with the people in behind you and the row behind you, the row alongside of you, the row in front of you. I mean, have a little courtesy. I just, and they just wouldn't stop. And then there'd be those little pauses where they, oh, good. Now they're going to try to go to sleep. Nope. Then they'd start up again. So uh, there's worse, uh, worse things in life, but it's just, it's just mind boggling how people just are not aware of their surroundings. Air travel used to be the coolest thing. I remember when I was young and, and this is one of those deals where like you and I are about the same. I think you might have a year or two. I mean, I'm going to turn 49. Uh, in about a week, but I remember flying with my dad when I was a little kid, and it was kind of a deal. You you, you got dressed up a little bit. You wanted to present yourself. Now I remember, you know, they used to serve meals, and they bring the trays down, and and the whole bit, and and travel was was something that was really cool. It was special. I loved it. It was one of the things that that I w- I decided I wanted to travel as part of my job, and then with the the wonderful you know, sort of bringing in of, of discounts and cheaper flights and all that other kind of stuff. And I get that, you know, flying got expensive, blah, blah, blah. It became like this cattle call. And now flying is the worst. I mean, you get in an airplane and it's basically like one giant canister of germs and, and filth flying through the sky at 450 miles an hour. And people take their shoes off and put feet everywhere. Things are disgusting, half broken. Um, and you... Coming from Las Vegas, I'm sure it is a freak show on a red eye on a Sunday night. Coming from Las Vegas, the people watching must have been fantastic, but the flight must have been just miserable. Well, again, it's only like three. The only good thing is you knew it was only about three hours and 45 minutes. I mean, we landed in Atlanta about 540 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And but just I, I was just in the unlucky spot. Um you know, coming off, <laughs> leaving Las Vegas, I got the unlucky spot because you. I'd look around, nobody else was talking. Everybody else was sleeping yeah. or, or, you know, it's just so, yeah. I was the unfortunate soul. But uh, these things happen. No, I still marvel. I still marvel how I can go to try to get to sleep in Las Vegas and I wake up in Atlanta. Um, yeah. Or you go to bed, it, you know, it's, it, you leave, uh, you know, you leave Europe and you go to sleep in Florida uh, the next day. It's just, it's still a marvel 
yeah. of of uh, technology and what and how many people they move on a per day basis. Um, I just moved. But, it. I yeah. wish they, I just wish that more people move with their shoes on when they were on a flight. I, that's just well, my own little pet peeve. But you were in Las Vegas um, to see a pretty. You you saw a pretty amazing golf tournament. The Shriners Hospital for Children open. We had a playoff. Kevin Na defeats Patrick Cantlay. Um, there are a couple of storylines that are sort of coming out of there, but Patrick, or excuse me, Kevin Na, just to start off with our lead, not to bury the lead, but Kevin Na to me has come a long way from being the guy that was sort of the poster child for slow play. For a while there, he had the yips. He couldn't pull the trigger on, on more than just pots. I mean, it was all over the place. He has gone through about, Steve, I think as big a transformation as a player as, as we've seen in a long, long time. What do you know about how he's tried to change himself and his game to get over some of the mental things that may have been holding him back because he's now won twice in 2019 and he's having a heck of a great year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, I remember when this, when it started to become a problem with Kevin, uh, you know, there were times he would stand over the, with the driver in hand, stand over and stand over and stand over and he just couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah. And sometimes he would pull the trigger, but then swing through the ball, you know, because he wasn't ready to hit it. And uh, he would stand over putts. He always used in the early days say, hey, I'm not trying to do this. I'm not doing this on purpose. And he went through breathing exercises. He tried to introduce some triggers uh, for his swing. He did. He worked very, very hard and very, very long on taking care of this problem. And. <clears throat> With the exception of a few times this week, I don't think anybody said, hey, I thought Kevin Na was slow. I mean, I, I, where, why is Kevin Na playing so fast? Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been a problem. I can't remember the last time somebody looked up at the screen or somebody was watching Kevin Na play and we went, Jesus, hit the ball already. Hit the ball already. He's gone over. That's a resilient man. Um, that did this, and he was doing this all the way, by the way, with only one win in like 350, 360 starts on tour, which certainly wasn't right, uh, doing him any favors, right? But uh, he has worked his way through that, and I think that's a testament to the man he is. Um, it, he just he didn't want to be that guy that had a bullseye on his back. He didn't want to be that guy where people were talking behind his back. So he worked and worked and worked, and he's overcome it. It's a credit to him, and it's a credit to his strength and, and his fortuitiveness that he's he is going to do what it takes to, to overcome that. Because I don't think that anybody's really questioned the talent. He's a really good player. He, he's been a solid, performing, good, earning PGA Tour player for a long, long time. But... One of the things that I really admire is the fact that if you can reach a certain level of success, which he was able to do, get yourself onto the PGA Tour. And as you said, he went a long time before he really sort of broke through and, and started doing some winning and, and getting himself into contention. But he's making a really good living to make changes once you get there and to know that it, the changes that need to happen need to happen between your ears, not necessarily with <coughs> your, your swing it really sort of speaks volumes to how strong a person you are. And that, to me, is is great. I think that's really remarkable, and it's something that can be said for a lot of people who right now are playing slowly or are being accused of playing slowly, that it doesn't have to be that way. If, if, you, if you put in the work and if you decide you're not going to be, as you said, that guy, you don't have to be that guy. And, um, yeah, kudos to him. For him to be able to come out there and do that, he was really emotional. I thought also afterwards. I'm not sure since you were on the ground there if you had a chance to see the Golf Channel coverage. But as he was on the green and being interviewed, you know his daughters sort so right there down by his feet, and he got really choked up. This meant this win meant a lot to Kevin Na. What what was your impression of him coming off, and 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 what does it really sort of mean for him both? emotionally and as a person to win in Las Vegas. I mean, he lives out there, but also that second win now in, in 2019, it means that first one was not a fluke. He's, he's sort of coming on into his own now, isn't he? Well, there's a lot of things that went into it. Um, obviously his daughter was there. His wife was there. His father saw him win PGA tour title for the first time. He was there. Very cool. 
Um, it was a whole week of the B.O. Kim suspension over in Korea. Um, and that weighed on him and that angered him. And, and he was going through various channels and trying to help B.O. Kim. Um, he spoke Korean yeah. uh, on the uh, on the green. And at the time, I, I, I don't speak Korean and nobody in the media center could speak Korean. And it basically turns out that he was addressing some rumors in Korean, I imagine from Korea, uh, that he wouldn't specify. And we had, and afterwards he was asked about it too, and he wouldn't get into specifics. Um, but I think again, there's maybe that little culture divide between Korea and the United States. Um, and maybe he was getting blasted for not playing more over there. I don't know. Again, I'm just, I'm just guessing there, but that had that, kind of tone to it um and again you talk about his resiliency he never gave up he never gave in um and he kept going forward but so that all came around all in, in that magical final round yesterday basically magical week for what he did on the greens um and you know any win is big out there mm -hmm. as we are often told by every player out there yep but to do it in front of many, many of his friends and family and people he's known at the at the golf tournament. Uh, you know, that's where he won his first PGA Tour title in 2011. He lives 30 miles away at Southern Highlands, one of the best golf clubs in the country. Um, it's his hometown. It's his kind of town. He loves Vegas. Loves it. Yeah. And to do it with his newborn infant son was at home. He was just too small, too young to bring out. But his adorable daughter, his beautiful wife, his father, his mother, they were all there. Yep. Many, many friends. Um, and he did it on a week where he started out being very, very angry about what happened to B.O. Kim. And he left being very, very happy after what happened to Kevin Na. Were people talking about that incident in Korea with B.O. Kim? And for people who may not be aware, he is a player in Korea, a Korean player, who let his frustration and his anger get the better of him after hitting a tee shot. Someone's camera went off. It sounds like during his swing, he turned around, made uh, what everybody would admit is, is an obscene gesture with his hand <laughs> using a certain finger and uh, received punishment of a three year suspension, which to me just seems way crazy over the top. I get if they want to find him. I get if they want to suspend him for a little while, three years to me seems really excessive. Were, were people talking about that? out in Las Vegas, and what, what was the sense of the reaction when, when people were out there? Well, you just have to consider what uh, Kenny Harms, Kevin Nas' caddy, he wore free biochem on his cap in the first round. Mm -hmm. the, the general consensus is people really couldn't believe it was three years. Or as Kenny Harms said, three weeks would have been too much. Yes, people were talking about it. Um, and people found out, so uh, in Korea, it is illegal for you to silence your camera phone. Right. Um, and it's the same in Japan as well. So Tiger Woods better get used to it. Uh, you know, for the Zozo championship and Roy McIlroy, they better be under the understanding that there's going to be click, 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 click. And, click. Th and that obviously has to be that so that no one gets their photograph done secretly, that you're not, you're not yes. going to sort of snoop around and take camera phone pictures of, of people, everyone's aware of it. And yeah, as you're saying, there's, there's a bunch of Asian golf coming up. The Olympics are going to be in Japan. The, the skins game that you had mentioned is, is, is in Japan. Um, this is going to be an issue. Guys are going to have to deal with this. It's going to be because, well, first of all, B.O. Kim, there was a good estimate that it might have happened on every hole, that uh, clicks were going off in his swing on almost every hole, and he had right. just had enough of it. But here's a man, uh, you listen to Kenny Harms, you listen to to Kevin Na. I mean, Kevin Na was shook by it because um, he knows B.O. very, very well um, and some others who know him. There's never been a problem like this with him in the past. Um, he's just been he's been a great guy. He's one of the leading players, if not the leading player on the Korean tour. Um, he had just had a moment of frustration. Yes, a fine should be warranted. Absolutely. Maybe a small suspension, but three years um, by the end of the week, sort of the consensus was that it seems like they will lessen 
the suspension that maybe he'll only that's, get one year. That's good to hear, but still crazy. But one year is still nuts. Absolutely I know, insane. but uh, we, but yeah, it was it was the talk of that. And hopefully, hey, hopefully this is a deterrent for others who might be doing it in the in the future uh, here on the United States, where we've seen it happen. The European tour, where we've seen it happen. Um, you know, hey guys, come on now, let's uh, let's try to hold in as much as we can and uh, keep everything in check. It's it's not surprising that Kevin now would be buddies with this guy, as you know. Um, a lot of guys from Korea will hang out. The Korean players hang out together as a group, just like the Australian players tend to be buddies. The people who would travel great distances will do it in packs, in groups, and that's sometimes when they're starting out to save a little bit of money. It's a lot of times to make sure that you just got people around you that, that can relate to you, that you know about. And those friendships and, and those bonds get to be a strong thing. So it doesn't surprise me the least um, that if an incident like that is happening literally around the world, on the other side of the globe, it still hits home. And it still is something that really is going to shake a, a player like Kevin Na or some of the other guys who may know him well. Um, now, Kevin Nott defeated, as I mentioned before, Patrick Cantley in a, in a playoff. And Patrick Cantley, to me, is really interesting, Steve, in that here's a guy who's coming out of junior golf, um, playing in college, is right there with the likes of Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas. I mean, he he was that crowd, um, has gone through a lot of things off the golf course, which, that which we can go over, but we've gone over them a little bit. He has now become a fixture in the top 10, but I don't think people still really talk about this guy. He is understated he doesn't do a lot of talking he's he's he certainly answers questions he's he's not hiding anything but he doesn't have that big draw in personality um what's your take on on Patrick Cantley and what do you sort of see as you look into your crystal ball for what the future might mean be for him well the the future is is going to be just fine for him he's he's like you said he's one of the best players in the world um he's one of the best drivers of the golf ball in the world he's long and he's straight and he used that to his advantage at TPC Summer, Summerlin in the Shriners Hospital this past weekend, where now he has gone second for second. I mean, I mean, first, second, second. Um, he's played the tournament three years and he's been beaten by two guys. Um, he's got a pretty not good bad. track record there. Yep, not bad. Uh, he's won twice. That hasn't helped his, uh, you know, his, uh, his popularity. He rarely smiles. That's just who he is. Um, I mean, when we were interviewing him, like on Friday, uh, or might have, yeah, Friday, I asked him a question. And after we were done with the interview, the other three or four guys that were talking were in the scrum said, Hey, you got him to smile. You got him <laughs> to smile, Steve, you know, but that's just who he is. Um, now he might not be flash, but his game certainly is flash. I mean, anybody that can do what he does with the driver. You should just marvel at that. Number um, number one last week in strokes gained off the tee. Also was really good with the wedges. Finished fourth. Strokes gained around the green. I mean he uh, he showed he was he was the best guy from tee to green basically on that golf course last week. Oh, he basically I mean, that, that was his strategy. He hit a whole lot of wedges because he didn't lay up very often. Um, while others were hitting three woods, he was he was just hitting that driver out there. Um, but he's going to be a man. I mean, he won Memorial earlier this year. Um, that that tournament's as stacked as any tournament there is. It's a big win, absolutely um, big win. He's just uh, obviously losing again, finishing runner-up again in Las Vegas for the second consecutive year. That stung, but it won't stay with him. It won't. It won't be bothering him in his next start. Um, but no, this guy is. Uh, he's just built to be a very 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 good player for a long time yeah I, I admire his game a lot and I don't think that there's necessarily if 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 guys are sort of quiet by nature I think one of the the worst things that they can do is try and generate or 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 put up some kind of a front where they are they're not being authentic just be yourself and some people yeah, have, have bigger personalities and have just more charisma than others and it doesn't mean that that that's a knock against anybody it's not but when guys are faking it then it's it just seems weird, and I love the fact that he comes out wearing all black. He lets the driver do the talking, um, and he has, as you mentioned, he he wins at Memorial. If you can win at Memorial, then then you, you that's one of those golf courses where I think, and one of those events where it's a little bit more. It's not a major, 
and no one's ever said it was, but there's there's some tournaments that are elevated on the schedule. Certainly the Players' Championship. I think for a time there, Wells Fargo was looked at as, as, as one of the elite week-to-week events, and certainly I think Memorial falls into that category as well. Everybody wants to win for Jack Nicholas, and everybody wants oh, to yeah. win against a field like Jack gets every year at Memorial. And for a guy to be young and to play on a big golf course like that one and to be able to compete and to win – just just means that that he he to me he's not going anywhere. He, his game is is you know hopefully barring no injuries and such like that. He's he's going nowhere. And while he doesn't have maybe the corporate sort of following, he hasn't crossed over. Certainly like Spieth did after fifteen when he won multiple majors. <coughs> Justin Thomas wins and you know has has that really like you know California like sort of that flashy good smile, great game, all, big personalities. Cantley's not like that. But that doesn't mean he's not going to win, and uh, I, I admire the hell out of him. I think he's—I he, think the sky is the limit for Patrick Cantley. Yeah, and he's—and you don't have to worry about him trying to fake it. He's never going to fake it. Yep. Um, and as well, I think a lot of people forget well ahead of the leaders at the Masters this year in the final round, he made a big run. Oh yeah, um, yeah, he's he, right he there. For, he tied for the lead. Um, I can't remember if it was seventeen or sixteen that did him in on a putt, but. Uh, no, he, he likes the big stage. Uh, he just might not show it, um, but uh, he's just he's going to be steady for a long time. One of the things that you that that I was so I was watching the coverage on Sunday, and um, it turned into a birdie fest. Obviously, the guys started taking it deep, and it, we finished with six guys at twenty under par or lower. Now, granted, the wind didn't blow; it looked like quite as much as it has in previous years, and there were guys who went out and shot some really low scores out there. And you started to see some people chirping a little bit on social media about the course being too easy, you know, the equipment and modern technology and modern players are starting to, to obsolete this golf course. What do you think um, when it comes to that particular venue? Uh, is, do, do they need to put a little bit more muscle on that? Or, or do you think that there's some events that just, you know what, it's, it's going to be a birdie fest. You're playing in the desert, and if it doesn't blow, guys are going to be able to just take dead aim, and this is what you get. Where do you, where do you sort of stand on how that golf course sort of set up in terms of its ease or its difficulty. Well, I, I think it's not just that golf course. It's not just TPC summer. There's a lot of them. I mean, there's already chirping about the great fear is come in 2020 open championship at St. Andrews. If you were to take the four days that we just had in Las Vegas and basically make that nine day in Las Vegas, because there was no rain, there was no clouds in the sky. There was yep. no wind. If you get four of those days at St. Andrews, 25 under is going to win a major championship, and somebody's going to shoot 59 on that golf course, and that's one of the most revered, one of the most, one of the greatest golf courses of all time. These guys are hitting the ball so far, matching up equipment so much mm-hmm. that the only defense is high rough, which there was none at the Sutherland, Wind, which there was none at TPC Sutherland, or Mickey Mouse pin placements, <laughs> which was not in evidence there. These guys have surpassed uh, basically everything except for Mother Na- except for the grounds crew to set up the golf course to keep them in check. Um, it's just I, I don't know if it keeps going this way. If the players get even bigger and stronger, what's going to happen? But we knew, everybody knew on Tuesday, because everybody knew what the forecast was, that they were basically, a lot of the players were hoping some wind would pop up. It never did. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the course got firmer and faster. So now the balls are going out farther on the drives and off the three woods and off the irons. And the greens were getting a little crispy and a little firmer, but not to the extent that, you know, these guys were fearing it. Um, it's just the latest example of how good these guys have gotten with the equipment that has gotten so great that uh, you almost might have to manufacture difficulty on the golf courses. So you mentioned the old course at St. Andrews and obviously being the home of golf. I'm not personally too worried about the Lynx courses in the UK, uh, in Northern Ireland, like Port Rush, where we just were, because I remember being at St. Andrews, uh, I think it was 2010 before Louis Ustazen wins his, his open championship. 
And the wind was so strong, as you might recall, that it was literally blowing over the barriers and the crowd sort of restraining fences, literally blowing them right over. Um, I want to say it must have been blowing 50 or 60 miles an hour. It was There was no play on the golf course that day. And one of the days that week, if I'm not mistaken, Rory shot 80. And that was the same week that he shot a 63. And the variance, obviously, being that the weather on Lynx golf courses can be such a huge swing. Uh, we saw some of that, not too bad, but some of that at Portrush this year, where Lynx golf course is the primary defense. And, you know, we're, we're not golf course architecture junkies like some of the people out there might be, but we've seen enough to know a little bit. The, the primary defense for a Lynx golf course, in my mind, is, is going to be the elements. And any Lynx golf course where there's no wind, like you didn't see wind in Las Vegas, guys are going to shoot low scores. I mean, it's usually not the length, and it's usually not the difficulty and the treacherousness of the greens that's the problem. It's the how are you going to judge how a ball is going to fly through the air when there's a 25-mile-an-hour left-to-right wind or the wind is coming into in one hole and then behind you on, on the next hole. But I can see how in the United States when you go to places where if the wind doesn't blow, you get these birdie fests. I guess my question to you, Steve, is it, does it matter? And, and what I mean by my, that question is that week-to-week PGA Tour events, where do you fall when it comes to golf as entertainment and people like to see birdies and eagles and they want to see guys score and golf as the sport and therefore, I'm not saying we're going to protect par like they do at the U.S. Open, but where we need to tuck some pins, where we need to grow some so that it, things just don't get away from you as much. Where How do you sort of fall on where things are going? Is it necessarily a good thing or a bad thing or just just is what it is. Well, uh, it, it's certainly starting to bother some players. It bothered Rory McIlroy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he said the course setups are getting too easy. Um, but then, you know it. You've been out here long enough. If you go to a golf course and all of a sudden the players show up and they see six inches of rough, they're going to start complaining that as well. So, and you know, pin placements drive everybody up a wall. So there'd be complaints. There's going to be complaints either way. Um, has it gotten a tad too easy? I don't know what I would, if I would have been in total charge, I don't know what I would have been able to do last week to keep it. If I had believed that it was getting too easy, what right. I would have done. The only thing I think I would have been able to do would be to put the pins in some outrageously ugly places, or you play every tee shot from the back tees. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone, um, there were a couple of times that I think they played the par three on the back nine, uh, not the 17th, but the earlier one, a little shorter than they should have. They could have gone back with there. But uh, I'm not that outrageously blown away by it. I mean, I wasn't angry that Kevin Na went and shot 62-61 in the middle of, you know, in the second and third round. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't angry that the third round scoring average was 67.75. <laughs> Um, is it's going to be that way. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, obviously I think the fans want to see more birdies than double bogeys and triple bogeys because yep. first of all, double bogeys and triple bogeys take longer. Um, and so play gets slowed down. Um, but I know par some people will say that par doesn't matter. Well, okay. If par doesn't matter, then make every par five a par four. Um, and, uh, all of a sudden, you won't see minus 25. You'll see minus 16 or minus 15 playing the same golf course, same setup. But that that number doesn't have as much right. meaning anymore, you know. Um, and in this day and age, <laughs> most of the par fives could play as very strong well, par fours. It's sort of know? interesting, as you're sort of saying, what, what, if, if the PGA Tour were to have a tournament, for example, where there was no established par. Well, this went out, and so they go, okay. There's the course, and um, here's all the yardages. We're, we're not going to hide the you know the, the yards that that the the fifth hole is 440 yards, the sixth hole is 198 yards, the ninth hole is 515 yards. Go out and shoot. You know, par is a concept that that it doesn't necessarily like mean anything other than sort of like okay, if you play this 18 hole golf course and there's four par fives and four par threes and the others are all par four that 72 is what we're saying is quote unquote the par score. But if you take out the whole thing 
and just had guys go, you what you would discover is like, okay, certain holes, regardless of the 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 scorecard yardage, would be harder than others. To to you know, it would certainly take like, oh, most guys are getting this five hundred yard hole, they're getting down in four. And yeah. th- this one is is harder, even though it's it's physically shorter, it seems to be trickier. And okay, there you are. It it'd be fascinating to see like what would happen if somebody did that. It would be, but it, it won't happen because the par is ingrained. You know, nobody in the nineteenth totally hole agree. comes in. Nobody comes in in the nineteenth hole and says, "Hey, I made three on uh, 12. No, they say, "Hey, I birdied twelve. Exactly. You know? Oh, I, I totally get it. I, yeah. I just think like and, the the concept though is, you know, the, the 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 last par five that the guys were playing in Vegas, you had to birdie that hole. That that had to be made. That you had to go down there in four, or you were losing close to a full shot to the field so really yeah it's a par five on the card in reality it's a par four otherwise you're losing a shot you know it's one of those things but um it's it would be an interesting thing across the pond though john rom i'm not sure if you had a chance to check this out or not i i didn't see it but i was following it reading uh on golfweek.com about john rom successfully defends his win at the open despania um obviously he's had a, a strong fall has been playing well what what do you make of Rom and and sort of where he is right now in his development? Because obviously he he shot up like a meteor when he arrived and played his first full year on the PGA Tour a couple of years ago. Big win, dramatic style at Torrey Pines. Played super in the Ryder Cup, but also has had some real bonehead plays along the way. Um, yeah. is 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 again one of these guys firmly established in the top ten. Um, what what do you sort of make or what is your thinking of of Rom having a nice sort of fall run here and what it could mean for him in 2020. Well, he's, you know, there are times, various times when we spend so much time out there on the PGA tour and on the European tour and, and out there and, and you play what, who would you rather be? And I've done this in the past, Rom. I think I said, would, would I write, would you rather be John Rom or Jordan Spieth right now going forward? Right now, if you played it right now, would you rather be John Rom? or Justin Thomas going forward right now? I can debate both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Would you rather be John Rahm or Dustin Johnson right now? I think I'd be John Rahm. Mm-hmm. Would you rather be John Rahm or Brex Kepka? I think the majority would say Kepka, but you can make a case for John Rahm. He's so young. I, he's so I just, young. And, that's and, the, he's built, and he's a bull. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he's got a game that's the epitome, and I want to hear what you but like he, he epitomizes the modern game, and he's so young. And he's got that short backswing, so that's that maybe will keep him away from a lot of injuries. Yep. Um, and again, he's still maturing. I can still remember. I mean, he had been out there just for a short time, maybe just over a year. And Phil Mickelson, who played a lot of golf with him out in out in Arizona, said, "Guys, he's a top ten player in the world right now. Um, he's going to be a top ten player in the world his whole career. Guys, this is one of the best players you're going to see." And that's coming from Phil Mickelson. So, and he certainly knows more than so, I do. So, give you a little bit of backstory on that one. Keith Sabarbro, who's the lead PGA Tour rep for TaylorMade, which is John Rahm's sponsor, um, went to the mat to sign him, and and he's buddies with Mickelson from back in their college days. And um, he arranged when Rahm was still playing in college. Um, he he arranged Rahm was at Arizona State. He arranged for for Rahm to play Mickelson, and and he sort of tagged along as a third wheel and. Rom was right there with him, step for step, uh, and this is a couple of years ago. And Mickelson's playing some really good golf, and and that was where sort of that that was the introduction that Phil needed. And and that, according to Keith, coming off of eighteen, he's like he's a top ten player today, not not just gonna be like this is one of the ten best players in the world today. Flash forward to right now, he doesn't turn twenty five until November tenth. He's still got another month of being a twenty four year old. And uh, yeah, I I agree. You, the the list of if you're gonna play that game, who would you rather be, John Rom or somebody else? The list of people that I personally would take is really really short. I'd have fingers left yeah. over on one hand over who I would take right now. The rest of their career versus Rom. Yeah, and if if you give me, I I know the the uh, the disadvantage is, is wide right now, but if you gave me the right odds, I'd say he'd be the number one player at the end of 2020. I, I could see it. I mean, would you be absolutely shocked if let, – let's take a look at the major venues. Obviously, next year we're going to be going to, back to Augusta National. The PGA Championships at Harding Park 
Um, that's that's fine. I, I think that that could set up very well for him. He's got a big game. Um, if they stretch Harding Park to its limits, it's still going to be a bomber's paradise. They're still going to love yeah. that in that heavy air. Oh, yeah. um, U.S. Open at Wingfoot could be a little bit tight for him, but but we'll sort of see. I think that would be a challenge. And then heading back over to uh, well, we're going to Royal St. George. So yeah. again, crapshoot a little bit with that. But I like his chances at two or three of those venues, don't you? I mean, I think his I like game it. translates perfectly well. Thank you. I like his chances at every golf course he plays. I mean, yeah. Just as I like Brooks Kepka's chances at every golf course he plays. <laughs> um, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, DJ, when he, DJ and, and Rory DJ when, when they're playing. Back. Yeah, I think that they can all. I mean, it's it's actually fun. But but the the types of players we're talking about right now play the same style of game. I mean, like we have firmly established that if you're going to be successful certainly on the PGA tour, but really on the biggest stages in world golf, you have to almost play this certain style, which there's a kid named Jordan Spieth who it's, it's going to be challenging for him just physically to keep up with some of these guys. He putted so lights out. You and I talked over the summer, you know, you, you had the quote of the summer so far. It's like, you're Jordan freaking Spieth. Remember who you are and just play like what you are. His margin for error against those guys is so much smaller because I don't know if he can just generate the birdies and bunches the way that some of these guys can because of the power in their game, which isn't again anything against him. But if you if you're gonna say like whose game just has more firepower to it and therefore more potential to go really low, it's it's the Rory's and the Kepkas and the Roms yeah. and potentially the DJs. And it's uh it'll be an interesting kind of thing to see how that sort of works out forward. Um Rom winning in Spain also I think is is very significant for him. Obviously, the U.S. Open for American players is our national championship, and it would mean the world for any American player to win. For Rom to win in Spain, I'm sure, fills his heart rightfully with a lot of pride. Do we not give guys credit, enough credit maybe, for winning their home national championships and, and national titles like a Adam Scott or Jason Day wanting to win in Australia the way that Rom won in Spain? Well, I think it might get overlooked. I, I don't know how many golf fans realize that if a Canadian ever wins the RBC Canadian Open again, it'll be on the front pages for 10 days after the tournament is over. That guy will never be able to buy a beer that in Canada again. Huge <laughs> win. Um, the Scottish Open's big to a lot of the players. I mean, Ricky Fowler, I know he's not from there, but he says that's a great tournament over there. Mm -hmm. The people love that. Um, and so we might overlook that uh, a little too much, um, but I mean, how many opens has Rory won? Um, how many national opens has he won? Um, the U.S. Open, Canadian, uh, the Canadian Open. I think he won the Scottish Open. I think he's won the Irish Irish Open. Um, and obviously, he won the Open Championship. So that the, uh, yeah, the uh, Open, yep. yeah, you know, and they mean something to him. And yeah, and, and look, Sergio will tell you that winning in Spain means a a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I just think and, sometimes maybe we overlook it, you know, because the, yeah. the the U.S. Open being a major, everybody wants to win that, of course. I mean, everybody wants to win all of them, but but it's I think easy to overlook. I'm sure, as you said, for Sergio, winning in Spain was a really big deal, and and I think for Rom, you know, the field was probably not not especially strong. Um, there was probably a stronger field, world ranking point. Kepka missed the cut. Mickelson, you know, didn't really contend or didn't do very much when it really meant anything. Um, but there were bigger names in Las Vegas than there would have been in Spain. But I think that to him, winning that tournament meant more than if he had won in Vegas. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, even if he had beaten uh, Brooks Koepka coming down the stretch in Las Vegas. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's comfortable over there, um, and it is his home country. Um and all I can talk to is how the guys talk about what it's like to win the U.S. Open, how much it meant to them that they won their national championship. Um, and you talk to the few Canadians who are doing everything they can possibly do to win their national championship and how big that would be for them. So, um, yeah, uh, he'll, I, I would imagine he'll play there every year. I, I mean, he's won two in a row. I mean, there's, there's, as you know, that unwritten rule, thou shalt defend your championship. So, yeah. we, you know, especially if he's, again, young Spanish guy, and it doesn't seem to be a week that is going to be in conflict 
um, with anything else. Uh, I would expect that he's going to be a fixture there for decades to come. So this week, the PGA Tour is um, going to be in Houston. Uh, and then after that, they head, as you're aware, to Korea, to Japan, to China. Um, the President's Cup team, we know the top guys who've already qualified. There are still some bubble boys who are trying to do some things to work their way on and earn a captain's pick. Watching the the tournament that you've seen, you know, so far, well, you, that you saw in Las Vegas, and that what we've seen so far in the in the fall series and the early turnaround season, guys like Tony Finau, Gary Woodland, Ricky Fowler, Patrick Reed, Tiger, if he wants to be a playing captain, I'm just sort of naming off the guys who are, who just missed: Ches Reeve, Kevin Kisner, Phil Mickelson. Is anybody doing anything in your mind right now to to earn their way onto the team that's a bubble guy? Or I mean, Finau played well in Las Vegas, I suppose. But it doesn't really seem like any of the guys that are that just missed the automatic qualifying for the American squad have really done anything to distinguish themselves or, or help their case to getting on that President's Cup team. Not yet, but uh, add another to the list, Kevin Na. Um, yeah, why not? He cannot be dis- he cannot be dismissed. Why not? There were three players this year that have won multiple times on the PGA Tour this calendar year. Three. World number one, Brooks Kepka. World number two, Roy McElroy and Kevin Na. Nice company. Nice, nice company you're keeping there, Kev. <laughs> he has to be in the conversation, um, especially when he just made a record 558. The, pu- the, the, the putting was un- was unbelievable. The the most ever in the shot link era um, of of most di- the longest distance of putt it, made in one round. In over seventy two holes. Yeah, I mean, I'm just. Um, Look, I'm not saying he should be on the team, but I'm saying he has to be in the conversation. Um, Tony Finau finished ninth. Gary Woodland is the reigning U.S. Open champion. He finished 10th in the standing. Uh, Ricky won in Phoenix earlier this year. He's been a mainstay on these uh, national teams for a few, long years, a few years now. He finished 11th. Patrick Reed won the first FedEx Cup playoff event, and he's won the Masters in 17. In 18, mm-hmm. he finished 12th. Tiger finished 13th. Now, there's five guys right now that would be really tough for Kevin not to overcome, but he's got to be in the conversation. Um, and I haven't even mentioned Kevin Kisner, who won the match play championship earlier this year. People forget that says one. Rivi, yeah. says Rivi steady Eddie. Phil Mickelson, look, it, he's going to go to Korea. If he wins in Korea, what are you going to do there? Um there's still time. Um, Jordan Spieth is going to play Korea, Japan. What if he wins one of those two? Um, what, it comes right down, now, what, it, what, it, what it comes down to, what you're saying is that there's going to be some big name players who are not going to be on this team. There's four spots, you know, and between oh, yeah. Woodland Finau, uh, Ricky, Mickelson, Spieth, Tiger himself, Reed, there's a couple big names who were, that, you know, were guaranteed who are not going to be on that team. There's going to be, a, there's going to be at least, four names that aren't going to make it. I mean, if you were to go nine through 12, if you were to go Finau, Woodland, Ricky, and Patrick Reed, that means Tiger's going to be just to be the captain. Um, Mickelson Mick- and Spieth doesn't miss make out. It. Spieth doesn't make it. Um, who did I miss? Okay, seven. Three Ch- big names. Ches Reeve, Kevin Kisner are out. Yeah, I mean, you know, from... Brant Snedeker's a went away from being in the conversation. I'll Billy, Bill, Billy Horsha was the one I was going to name. Is is yeah. he, he went over and played in Europe and played at Wentworth and, and and played well. I mean, he's another guy that if he goes over um, into Asia and has another strong finish, he could move up totally. So there's still time here. Um, and so Tiger's going to have his hands full. He really, really is. Um, How much have, do you Earl- think the decision is going to be played on the golf course that they're playing and the, the the lineup and the chemistry that he's going to be able to put together based on the way that the European team set up that venue in Paris to basically thwart what the Americans do well. How much do you think Tiger learned from that in terms of I need to have a team that's composed of players where we can play on a variety of different golf courses? He's already got lots of big hitters. You know, he's already got plenty of bombers with DJ and with Kepka and Cantlay's on that team. Some other guys that can really move the ball. Does he need to mix it up a little bit and, and get a Kisner or a Reavy or some of the guys that are known for Reed 
who aren't bombers but but hit fairways and make putts, or does he, or do you just go with another guy like Fina who just should make theoretically a lot of birdies? Well, I I don't think Tiger's just going to go nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's no way that's going to happen, um, unless he thinks nine, ten, eleven, and twelve are the four guys that he needs to. Mm-hmm. He'll think team first. He will. Hey, he might pick a Snedeker, who who would be twentieth uh, or thirtieth on the standings. He he'll dip into that. He'll he'll think team first. Mm-hmm. And then the standing second. I, I really believe that. Um, there have been some captains on both sides who automatically took the guy who finished ninth and just missed out on qualifying just because they finished ninth. Tiger isn't going to be that one of those guys. Um, he thinks he's going to put team first. Um, and that's why earlier in the last week, I was leaning towards I think Tiger's going to put himself on there. Just something was telling me I had this feeling that Tiger was going to put himself on there mm-hmm. because, like you said, not many people have done much. Um, do, you Tony, a, do, you have, do you have a problem with Tiger picking himself, given that no. he has even said himself the back some days can be good, can be bad? No, because he'd only have to play twice. Um, and actually, I think he only has to – yeah, he only has to play twice. Um, look at – I'm sorry, and some people dismiss this, but this is entertainment. Yeah. And oh, yeah, there's no, absolutely. There's no bigger name in the game. There's no, there's no, you can put the next five guys together, they they wouldn't outdraw Tiger. I'm sure, and look, and I'm sure NBC just, Universal and the PGA Tour want Tiger playing, oh, not just captaining. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also think Tiger's going to think about future. Uh, he's going to, he's going to be thinking about the 2020, uh, Ryder cup, the 2021 president's cup, the 2022 Ryder cup. Um, because one, I think he will be the 2022 Ryder cup captain. Um, and so does he want to get these guys his feet wet? Look, we haven't even mentioned Matt Wolf, uh, Matthew Wolf. Mm-hmm. He could certainly win and certainly get his name in the mix. Colin Morikawa could win again. He would certainly get his name in the mix. Um, so there's a lot of not only is he thinking about foremost he's gonna he's gonna be thinking about winning this year. That's it is at the forefront of his mind. But he's also going to be thinking about twenty twenty Ryder Cup and in future uh national ch- games and getting these maybe getting some players' feet wet. But I think um look at if he can't find somebody to play with Bryson DeChambeau, or if he can't find somebody that's matching up with uh Xander Schauffele, which I'm just throwing names out here. Yeah. When he fills out his team, he'll say, okay, who matches up with this guy? Yeah, what do I need here? I don't care if he's 44th in the world. I don't care if he's 60th in the standings on the points list. If that guy makes our team better because he's paired with that guy who Mm -hmm. can make him better, we do it that way. So there's a lot of things that will go into it, and entertainment is one of them. And uh, Tiger knows that. So I want to finish. I want to finish with this idea to you that uh, I posed. I, I had a chance to chat with Bo Hostler. This was back in, gosh, I want to think it was last March or April. And obviously, the sting of the U.S. getting thumped in Ryder Cup was still somewhat fresh on some people's minds. And Hostler is a young player who's had success in some some team events. Has you know been around national uh, scene as a young player for for quite a quite a while at a very high level. And one of the things that and you saw, you, you reminded me, as you mentioned, Matthew Wolf, um, Colin Morikawa, some of these guys. So what do you think of the idea of having some players of that sort of age and demographic, say 20 to 25 years of age, the young guys who aren't necessarily going to be on a president's cup team or a Ryder cup team, but bringing them along sort of along the lines of the way when we were back up at Hazeltine a few years ago for a Ryder cup, um, Bryson DeChambeau went up there to take it in, almost like mm-hmm. a, as a fan, and to sort of see, like, well, what is this atmosphere all about? Because you and I have both been to President's Cups and we've been to Ryder Cups. And until you sort of experience what that first tee is like, where all cliches aside, the, the energy out there is crackling. I mean, literally, if I had hair on the top of my head, it would be standing on end because just people are so amped up. And I think there would be tremendous value in bringing three or four players who are of that sort of age and demo where like it would be really easy to see five or six years down the line, Matthew Wolf playing Ryder Cup for the United States. 
would not be a stretch of the imagination. Would not be a stretch of the imagination to see some of these other guys that are coming up and you sort of earmark them. Just basically to give them the experience and say, look, you're not playing today. But we think that you have a future that could involve President's Cup or Ryder Cup. So come along with us. Shut up, but learn. Soak in this stuff. Figure out, hopefully get motivated, but, but figure out like what, what this is about so that if you get into this situation and you're on the U.S. team, you'll know like this is what a team room at an away Ryder Cup tie is actually like. This is what it's like when you know 40,000 fans in Italy are not cheering for you. They're cheering against you. Um, I think there would be tremendous value. Hostler was was up about it. He thought it was actually a really interesting idea. He felt that, like he would be weird in the team room, not being a member of the team. But what do you think about the idea of trying to to bring some of the young guys in and expose them to those atmospheres? Again, President's Cup is usually a little bit lighter because the U.S. has had so much success with it. But Tiger thinking long term, uh, at some point Mickelson is going to be what? It's a 2024 Ryder Cup at, uh, I believe, at, at Beth Page. Everyone's already assuming Mickelson's going to be that captain. Getting younger players some exposure and some experience to what that's like. What do you think about that? Well, it's a lot easier said than done when it's in the United States. So I'd be shocked if it isn't the case uh, at Whistling Straits in 2020. I don't know what the budgets are for the PGA of America um, and the PGA Tour uh, to send four guys over over to Australia. But, uh, oh, yeah, there can't – obviously, there'd be tremendous value. Be, there's no loss in there. Um, and will they do it? I, I'd be shocked if it doesn't. Now, uh, maybe one guy, maybe two guys might do go to uh, go to the land of Oz. But yep. uh, I think in Whistling Straits, you'll see that. And But, again, he, <clears throat> you can witness it, but you get a taste of it. At least they get a taste for it because they're still not going to know what it feels like until they're actually no. on that first team. No, there's, there's, no way, there's no way to replicate that, but I think that's right. You can give them an idea – of what this is going to be like. And there's so much that goes into it. I mean, there's so much behind the scenes stuff that we don't see. Um, the camaraderie, uh, uh, the strategizing, all sorts of different things. So they'd get a taste for that too. Um, I don't think you'd want to get that team room too crowded. Nope. Um, but uh, no, yeah, it's, crowd- I, it's crowded enough as it is. I, I get that. I yeah. wholeheartedly admit that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd be surprised if Steve Stricker doesn't have a couple of young young players who just didn't make the team next year uh, up in Whistling Straits. So now are you going to be home resting up and uh, recuperating, sleeping before you head off to Asia? What, what's, uh, is Asia the, your, your next stop? Yeah, I leave uh, not this Friday, but next Friday for Japan. Um, that'll be a 14-hour flight that I'm not looking forward to, but, uh, maybe you can get between a couple chatty folks and strike up a conversation. Yeah, uh, that isn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> if, the, uh, if people as you're traveling want to follow you, uh, it's at Steve underscore Demeglio, D I M E G L I O. Are you also on Instagram or are you just a Twitter? Uh, guy? no, All no, right. Facebook, but Facebook and, uh, Facebook and Twitter. All right, so follow Steve on Twitter so you can catch all the stuff going on. With uh, The time change will be crazy, but you can wake up every day and see what he's written for Golf Week and GolfWeek.com. Steve, I appreciate your, uh, your coming on board. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, David. Mm-hmm.